Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the award-winning Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'm joined by Adele Merson and Justin Bowie to wrap up a crazy old month in Scottish politics. We need to talk about who's in and who's out of the new look Scottish government under First Minister Hamza Yousaf and what that might mean for the big jobs and problems ahead. We'll also discuss his first pop at First Minister's Questions, which didn't exactly go to script. It was completely disrupted by oil protesters who ended up clearing the gallery and prompting Parliament to set up what's basically a pub-style banning order uh, for frequent offenders. And back by popular demand, from me at least, is resident quizmaster Justin Bowie, who's going to test us on whether we were actually paying attention during the SNP leadership contest. All that, then it's off for the Easter holidays, returning in a couple of weeks, rested, refreshed, and presumably ready for the next resignation or whatever awful fate throws at us next. So, shall we begin? We will be- we'll start with the First Minister's new top team. We obviously met just a few days ago when First Minister Hamza Yousaf became the leader. Um, since then, there's been a lot of movers and shakers and comings and goings. Um, but this particular one, under Dundee-based Hamza Yousaf, is essentially a city of discovery power base. So yeah, so obviously Hamza Yousaf won on Monday and one of the most significant appointments he made was making SNP veteran Shona Robeson his deputy. She will also serve as finance minister, so she's going to have a lot of power. She's obviously been around for a long time. She had to resign as health secretary previously when she held that post. She had been the Oho government and housing and social justice secretary before she took on this role. But beyond her, there's quite a lot of people in, I suppose, courier country as well who have been given senior roles. Jenny, Jenny Gouroof, who previously held the transport brief, has now been made Education Secretary. Um, Mary Goujon, uh, she remains in the Rural Affairs brief after it was offered to Kate Forbes, who has left the government. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it was quite interesting that Hamza Yousaf has appointed a lot of people who were quite close to him during the campaign. Um, a lot of people have moved into senior roles who backed him quite early on. Whereas those who backed Kate Forbes have sort of been frozen out a bit. Ivan McKee, who was business minister, he has also left his role. I, I'm actually not sure there's really anybody who was a pretty prominent Kate Forbes backer who has been put into a senior role at all. So, yeah, he's very much cementing that power base. That has gauged a sort of split reaction. Some people think they maybe should have reached across the aisle a wee bit, should have maybe tried to be more sort of conciliatory and try to explicitly get some of Kate Forbes supporters in. But other people are making the point, well, he's won, he can do what he wants, and that's... If you're First Minister, you get to appoint the people you want, and he's still quite young. He's he's obviously very new to the job. He's going to want people he can trust and people he is very close to right next to him. Yeah. You mentioned like that whole trying to bridge the, the gap because that was something that we've talked about before, and polling that we've reported on also suggests that Kate Forbes had a, a wider appeal beyond the SNP. What are we thinking here? Because there was a, a feeling that Kate Forbes would would maybe stay or have to stay if she was asked to be finance secretary, but that never happened. Is it actually quite canny of her to disappear off to the back benches at this point and wait and see what happens to the Humza Yousaf term? Possibly. I mean, the, the problem for Kate Forbes was always going to be she sort of savaged Humza Yousaf's record uh, in government during the leadership debates. So it might have seemed a bit odd if she was like, well, I don't really believe in your vision for government. I don't think you're very good at what you do. 
but yeah, I'm going to remain sort of in one of your most senior roles. So it, obviously we don't know yet how Hamza Yousaf's going to perform, but if things don't go well, if the SNP in 2026 have a poor election, or if they even have a poor election at Westminster next year, if there's pressure on Hamza Yousaf, she is not going to be too closely associated with that. Yeah. I don't imagine Hamza Yousaf's going to be have as short as a tenure as, as Liz Truss did, but we saw what happened with Rishi Sunak, where things fell apart under Liz Truss. He obviously was, you know, did not remain as Chancellor, which was his previous role. And it meant when things kind of just fell, fell apart completely, he could sort of step in and basically say, well, I'm the guy who's here to rescue it all. I don't imagine events will move as quickly as that with, you know, the SNP here. And Forbes might not have the, quite the same backing in the party that Sunak did. You know, Sunak had a lot of prominent backers who were you know, quite happy to kind of put him into power once things fell apart under trust. But yeah, there, there may be some value for her in sort of just staying in the back benches, seeing how things go. And either if things are going well, she could return to government in time, or if things don't go well, she won't be seen as you know being tainted by being part of his government. Yeah, there were some happy-looking new cabinet secretaries in Parliament yesterday, particularly towards the end of the day there. I won't name names, but um, I did see one order a bottle of wine and one glass, which is all I'm saying about that. But there was some, there was some also interesting returners uh, and new junior ministers, like beyond the main power cabinet secretary supergroup. Who we got there? I mean, back while well, sticking with the the Dundee vibe, Joe Fitzpatrick comes back into government. He had a pretty bad run before he was manoeuvred out for falling short in, in tackling drug deaths. He's back. We've also got Graham Day, Angus MSP, who was in transport, left for health reasons before. But he, he's back in higher education. Is is this a good thing for people to come back into government, or is this evidence that there's um, we're just having to recycle people who? didn't really live up to expectations the first time around. Well, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? You know, sometimes it can be quite natural for somebody to take a step back for a bit or to leave their post and come back later on. But yeah, the case of Joe Fitzpatrick was interesting. He was obviously, you know, drugs minister and had to resign over the sort of, you know, national scandal that has been that has been drug deaths. He's now back in a junior role again. So there perhaps is a bit of a sense of, you know, the SNP have been in power for so long. We're a couple of years after the 2021 election, so you've got some new faces in there, you know, some new faces who've been in junior roles. But I suppose it's perhaps natural that they maybe have to find themselves going back to people who have already been there before, especially when, you know, there's a bit mm. of a, I suppose there's a bit of a vacuum, you know, even we forget, you know, the SNP is a big party, so there's plenty of people to choose from, but you've got Nicholas Sturgeon and John Swinney who, you know, were in government who are now going to the backbenches. Kate Forbes is going to the backbenches, so... Already, it means you have three really, really big names, you know, three names that have been central to the party who aren't going to have ministerial roles. So that kind of leaves a bit of a vacuum. And it's interesting that perhaps some sort of veterans who might not be described as steady hands because they might have not necessarily have covered themselves in glory, but people who are seen as, you know, they know how to be in government, I suppose. They know kind of what it involves. Um, Hamza Yousaf is perhaps relying on some of them and obviously in the case of someone like Joe Fitzpatrick a very close ally who strongly backed him and is obviously part of that you know Dundee kind of power base as well yeah Adele yesterday was a, a big focus across the UK on energy the UK government was making a lot of announcements and pronouncements um, that rippled all the way up to Holyrood as well during FMQs we'll get back to that in more detail shortly but there's some big tasks ahead in, in the energy part of government, um, with, there's a, obviously a huge focus in the northeast Aberdeen and into the Highlands. Yes, I think uh, we obviously saw the appointment of a new uh, net zero, Mary McAllen as the new net zero and just transition secretary. So she's 
only I think she was only elected just under two years ago and was immediately made environment minister and is only 30 so she's part of this kind of new young cohort in the cabinet but I guess we don't know too much about her sort of how how that will play out regionally she does have Mm -hmm. some background in I believe she trained as a solicitor and then she specialised in sort of energy and natural resources at a firm in Glasgow. So clearly this doesn't always happen when people appoint politicians to cabinet, but there there is a kind of crossover there, I guess, with her having a bit of a background in energy. But we will be interested to speak to her to sort of see what her plan is going forward, what's her priorities, because there's a lot of, you know, thousands of oil and gas workers who, you know, we've spoken about this several previous episodes they you know the rhetoric's around but they need to know a practical plan for how they transition from their jobs in oil and gas into sort of alternative greener jobs we also had uh, Gillian Martin as Aberdeenshire East MSP Uh, she's joined as a junior minister for energy so again there's probably as a northeast representative she will know only too well some of the issues so I guess that's why she's been appointed she also put out a survey last year I think it was which had some findings about the barriers that oil and gas workers face when they're trying to move from fossil fuel industry to greener jobs so she clearly has a real interest in that area and I presume that's why she's she's been selected in particular. Yeah I mean there's there's a lot of big challenges ahead there and you you mentioned that Mary McAllen um, she's she's talked of highly in you know among people in government and around parliament but relatively untested in this kind of a role um so it will be quite a big a big one and there was a little bit of chat around about the edges of the reshuffles um this week about who might be not quite wanting to maybe go up to the big big jobs right yet because um you know i don't know if anyone would thank you for taking uh, you know giving you an offer for such a, an enormous pressurized job right now i mean the the problems that facing people in government are have never been more challenging or harder i would i don't think that's a a stretch i mean we've had covid so health is just an absolute nightmare um that's going to be a huge one for michael matheson but he, he you've uh, spoken to him on his previous roles before mike matheson's he's one of the more uh, long serving kind of steady hands in government isn't he that's his his reputation yeah although they've they've obviously tried to balance a cabinet that's got that youth with experience i think it's it's obvious why they've picked him for such a serious brief as health and the NHS recovery because he's been in government. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it might be 1999. Well, you're straying into pub pub quiz territory again here. We'll save, <laughs> save that one. He's been around uh, in government for a long time and held previous roles, so they've you know picked a tested pair of hands for that one. That's mm. and that makes sense. Um, a, a big one for one of the northeast local MSPs as Kevin Stewart is taking on transport which is not an enviable brief I mean it's obviously one with great responsibility and of huge importance but the number of challenges that face you there from trains to ferries to airport strikes there's just some huge issues in that brief that he has to address and I, I don't necessarily envy that I mean there was a lot of discussion about the fact that that wasn't a cabinet secretary position I think people felt it should have been you obviously can't have everything everything is a title within the cabinet but I think transport certainly kind of raised some eyebrows as to why that wasn't a cabinet secretary position given that that's probably where the SNP faces 
the most challenges. I, I failed to mention there the A9, the A96. I mean, just so many big issues. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings us as well to the idea of the continuing SNP and Green Party deal. They work together in government. Uh, Patrick Harvey and Lorna Slater both find themselves back in government uh, in the same jobs that they had before. Lorna Slater in particular has been in the public eye quite a lot recently. The um, the bottle recycling scheme, which has had an extremely rocky start. And she's going to be pushing that through as well. So there's a there's a lot of big tests to to keep your eye on, um, and we've not got round. We could get around everybody, but there's other interesting figures. M- Marie Todd in the Highlands, she's um, sticking with a kind of a, a health brief as well. Which um, I was speaking to her yesterday, and she's delighted to keep sport in there as well. So she wants to crack on with that. But yeah, the, one of the observations about the SNP and government has been that under Nicola Sturgeon, they try to tend to make everything a priority whether it's education or health. But if everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. So we talk about um, what to be fixed first. I mean, who's who? where is the scrutiny going to end? Uh, it's going to land on first, you reckon, Justin. Who's going to have to get out of the blocks fast and make their mark quickly? I think the person perhaps with the most difficult job will be Michael Matheson in health. I think especially because he's replacing directly Hamza Yousaf. So Hamza Yousaf has moved from health to first minister. We know what was said about him. You know, people were demanding he resigned as health minister before he went on to become the first minister. There's just so many challenges in health. You know, the NHS is stretched to breaking point. It's even locally, you know, we've had you know the NHS Tayside breast cancer scandal. We've had you know campaigners um, demanding an inquiry into the kind of disgraced Sergeant El Jamel. And I, th- I think especially because Michael Matheson is replacing Hamza Yousaf. There is just going to be so much focus on that brief. Um, so, yeah, I, I would imagine that there's so many people with difficult jobs there. But I think, I, I'm sure, you know, like, like we were saying, Michael Matheson's a steady pair of hands. And I'm sure he'll be looking forward to getting to work. But I think it's a really, really tough job, that. Yeah, and, and Mary McCallan as well, I would argue as well. Which brings us yeah, a bit course. neatly back to where we were talking earlier about the the the, the energy focus in, in the whole of the UK yesterday. We were reporting this morning how... Every SNP parliamentarian at Holyrood and Westminster in the North East signed a, a joint letter to UK Government Minister Grant Shapps. They're all furious about delays to the ACORN project, which is to do with carbon capture. I won't try to bore you with the technical details, mostly because I would probably fail. But it's basically a scheme to get carbon out of the air and into the ground. And it's a big deal in Aberdeenshire, but it, it has to be said to focus on it. It does sometimes airbrush a lot of the criticism too, which is merely this is a sticking plaster, puts the problem somewhere else, doesn't reduce the demand for fossil fuels really. But um, after losing out to projects in England at the first hurdle through the UK government, the plan at St Fergus in the northeast coast is in line for the second round of funding. The SNP say it's just not fast enough, there's not enough detail. Uh, Adele, you, you've covered this um and this policy quite a lot including the rows around it how big a deal is it it's constantly you know brought up from smp politicians and others um over the last few couple of years since the project was snubbed by the uk government and as you say there i think and i am not enough of a scientific expert to also i tried to get an engineer friend of mine to explain carbon capture to me so have a very very basic understanding but not a very good one, um, but I do understand that there's a there is as you alluded to there this sort of debate. Some people 
noticeably the Greens, for example, don't think they're not they're not in favour of carbon capture at all. And I remember from the SNP conference, there was one of the motions was actually from one of the branches that they didn't seem in favour of carbon capture either. So there's there's obviously division among members there also. But I think certainly from all the politicians, it seems, other than the Greens, it seems that they think that this project is absolutely critical and that the delays are already, you know, putting jobs at risk and, and money that could be made in the region. I think Michael Matheson actually said it's mission critical in terms of the Scottish government being able to meet their climate targets and that if it doesn't happen, if if Scotland doesn't get carbon capture uh, funding, then that just can't happen. They just can't reach their targets. That's certainly what they're saying. And back to what we were speaking about earlier with that plan to allow people to move from oil and gas to greener jobs. I think this is seen as a you know good alternative employment for people. It's predicted to create thousands of jobs in the region. So it's a very top priority, I think, um, both for jobs, but also for some people for meeting the climate targets. And there's another one of those top priorities. There's a, there's a long list of them. This kind of erupted into uh, Parliament as well on Thursday. Um, Hamza Yousaf was up for his first First Minister's question session. It was oil that overshadowed it, not the exchanges of the party leaders. We have a, a little listen back now to a, a quick clip of how the protests started to take a, effect during FMQs. So I would say to, to Douglas Ross, to the UK government, we will continue to advocate and to advance independence because we need it now more than ever before. Douglas Ross. I, I found myself in the, the bizarre place that I was actually hoping there might be another intervention from the gallery just to stop that long rant from Hamza Youssef that didn't address the question at all because I specifically asked... Here they go. We will suspend... There you go. Just in the background, you could hear one of the protesters. That was, I think, number two, possibly. But um, Justin, you were you were watching this in Parliament. There was about seven individual attempts from people all over the gallery. In fact, we passed a little bit of time as the as the day went by, trying to guess which of the people in the gallery were going to be next. And you were quite successful in that, Justin. Yeah, well, that was that was definitely the second um, hecker. So we barely were started. You know, the the, the process of the proceedings had barely begun, and there was a hecker in the gallery. That that's become quite common recently. It became a big thing during the kind of Shrandroud debate. Um, so when the SNP's gender reforms were getting passed in Holyrood, there was you know, notable protests at that time. But these sort of anti-oil protesters have been speaking up a lot lately. And this was the most coordinated effort. You know, it felt like every single time you were past it, somebody else would stand up. And it got to the point where basically everybody had to be evicted from the chamber. And that was including family members of the new first minister, family members of other, you know, cabinet secretaries there to see, you know, their relatives' first days and their the new jobs, school children as well, who had to be let back in. So, you know, there was the bizarre spectacle, spectacle as well of, you know, young children being very, very well behaved while a lot of older adults were disrupting proceedings. I suppose they will argue that, you know, their objectives were met, it got attention, it basically brought things to a standstill. 
to the point where, you know, nobody was really talking about, you know, how did Hamza Yousaf perform in his first day? How did the opposition leaders grill him? It, it got back to that eventually, but the focus was very much overshadowed by these protesters. And yeah, it's become a very, very common thing in Hollywood. And while it might be amusing in the moment, it's obviously not great because as, you know, Alison Johnston, the presiding officer said, it overshadows the opportunity for MSPs to ask Hamza Yousaf just important questions sometimes which might even relate to oil and gas so yeah it's, it's not great to see but then there's a point where um these protesters are basically saying that literally no one is asking these questions and no one is doing the thing that they want to happen so they feel that this is the only way to do it i mean there is obviously an argument for for protest and yeah it's disruptive but i guess that's that's their point um it's, it's not exactly like they're gluing themselves to the side of the building um yet don't give them any ideas the presiding officer hi <laughs> the presiding officer did um then put out a, a statement later in saying that she was going to issue banning orders for six months to folk who, who who do that kind of um stunt but i don't suppose that would really particularly put them off really it's it's acting after the fact rather than before anyway there's not much more they could do yeah but it'll be very interesting to see if this becomes uh, another weekly occurrence but i think before we before we get too deep into that, we should um, we should return to some levity and and the SNP leadership contest by going for a little pub quiz. Um, so I hope you all who are listening will play along with us as well. Uh, Dell, have you been paying attention to the leadership debate? Morvin, have you been closely following our every word as we've been covering this? Will I be exposed as the charlatan <laughs> that I am? Let's find out with our end-of-term SNP chaos quiz. Justin, over to you. Okay, so we have six questions today, and these all, in some way or another, relate to the SNP leadership contest. So I'll just, I'll go right in. Question number one, this is one where I suppose whoever, whoever can get closest will get the point. Um, so it's a kind of numbers-based question. Oh, no. There was a lot of focus during the campaign on the SNP's membership numbers. Of course, we found out that they had fallen significantly from the highs that it had been at before. Obviously, not every SNP member voted, though. So your question is, to the nearest thousand, how many SNP members voted in the leadership contest? I'll let you write down your voted? answers. So uh... whoever can get closest will get the point. Uh, the ones actually voted, I think. I yeah, so obviously not every SNP member had to vote. Some party members perhaps just pay their dues and don't really bother beyond that. Most did, the majority did, but there was a notable contingent that didn't, so I'll let... Um, there was a lot that didn't. Well, there was more than you'd think. So question number two, we have been talking in particular about um, how this is a much younger SNP cabinet. Uh, Hamza Yousaf um, is on, still in his 30s, but has been in Hollywood for a long time now. So, question two, at the time when he was first elected, Hamza Yousaf was Scotland's youngest ever M MSP. True or false? Oh, hang on, wait. So, what? at the time when he was elected, that may have changed since, um, if it is true. If it's true, it may have changed since. Obviously, if it's false, then, you know, it's false. At the, um, at the time so, he was elected? Yeah, at the time he was elected, he was the youngest ever MSP in Scotland. True or false? All right. Um, do you get a bonus point if you think you know who was? <laughs> Yeah, well, I tell you what, yeah, if it's false and you can get the right person, you'll get a bonus point. That's not giving any hints, but um, if you can get the right person, if it's false, sure, a wee bonus point. Why not? Yeah. All so, right. um, moving on, question number three. Which SMP MSP acted as Hamza Yousaf's campaign manager and made the opening speech at his campaign launch? 
So um, there's a lot of key backers, but obviously some of them only came out later in the campaign. So which SNP MSP acted as Hamza Yousaf's campaign manager and made the opening speech at his campaign launch to introduce him? Ooh. Is, um, I suppose you could say probably a central ally. There were some very, very close allies. So moving on, question number four. So Hamza Yousaf's campaign launch obviously happened in Clyde Bank, um, not too far from his Glasgow constituency. But question four is, whereabouts in Courier Country, so name of the town I'm looking for, whereabouts in Courier Country did Ash Regan launch her leadership campaign? <laughs> what? This Hang is on. somewhat I niche, I was so excited there. What, you turned, that's like, what? It was a, it was a torture. What a prominent twist. campaign launch because it was only one of three candidates. It, so. you, you've went from Hamza to something else there. So what, where did that, what was the question? Whereabouts in Courier Country did Ash Regan launch her campaign to be First Minister? Courier Country. And it has to be the town, so you couldn't just say like a... Yeah, you you couldn't just say, yeah, it it needs to be the town. It's got to be the postcode. I I won't give it away. No, the town's fine, town's fine. But it's in like Tayside and Fife? Yes, it's within Courier Country, so wherever you're with, yeah, Tayside and Fife. Somewhere that our readers would buy the paper. Moving on, question number five, sticking with Ash Regan, who obviously was the outsider candidate. She came a distant third in the leadership election. Not a disgraceful result, but obviously it was more between Hamza Yousaf and Kate Forbes. But um, due to the SNP membership being much larger now than it was in the past, even despite those declines, she actually got more votes than the 2004 winner Alex Salmon did. True or false? So in sheer number of votes, um, Ash Regan got more people voting for her than Alex Salmon did in 2004 when he won. True or false? Oh, that's a good one. So That's hard. <laughs> obviously, uh, the SNP membership is now much bigger than it was in the past, so somebody getting... But right, are you not, talking not say, number, not, not... Yeah, not obviously not percentage, because obviously, you know, Alex Salmon got a high percentage because he won, but in the sheer number of people who put her as right, a, yeah, only his first preference, just that, obviously people got second preferences, but people who put uh, Ash Regan as their first preferences. We're doing first preferences here. So she got more votes than Alex Salmon did when he won in 2004. True or she, false? Uh, I'm doing some, I've got to use some maths here and it involves percentages. <laughs> so this could go, this could go anywhere. And your final question before we go into the answer. So question number six, sort of a question which in, in some ways related to me here. Um, somewhat, I suppose it's somewhat terrifying. I think we go through it all you know, Everyone has in the lives where there is a government minister who's younger than them. It was first ever time for me. So, who became the first ever Scottish or UK government minister to be born later than me this week? I know this. Oh my gosh, later than me? Yeah, somebody in the Scottish government Seriously? is younger than me. Is younger than you? Who is it? Get out of town. Yeah. So they were born in what year? I'm not going to tell you the year, the like year they were born, um, but they are younger than me. They might not be that much younger than me. Could be the same year, could be a couple of years later. But um, for the first time ever, there have been, through through history, I mean, I'm obviously born in 1987, I'm 26. There have historically been younger ministers, but obviously, you know, what I mean specifically is somebody who was born after me for the first time as a Scottish or UK government minister. So who is it? In the Scottish government? I don't know. I know. Uh... Move on to the next question. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's obviously a lot of junior minister roles, but this person is now... Now has a ministerial brief, whereas they didn't before. They were just a backbencher before. So um, that's a a good one for you to mull over. I'm sure over the years there will be many <laughs> ministers to come who are much younger than me, but for now it's just the one. 
the that is your six questions. So we'll go back to the start. For our listeners, right. um, Andy, Adele, and Morvin have been scribbling down their answers. So I think we'll go, we're going to take it in good faith that you're not you're not just going to share if you don't know something. You're not just going to assume that you All know right. you got it right. So I think that's fair. Let's go around the room then, shall we? Yeah, yeah. So I'll ask you one by one what you what each of you said. So for question number one. To the nearest thousand, how many SNP members voted in the leadership contest? So I'll go with who's on my screen. So Morvin, what did you put? I put 45,000. Not bad. Andy, what did you put? I put 47. And Adele, what did you guess? 60. So the correct answer was um, just over 50,000 SNP members voted. So for that one, the point goes to Andy. It was quite interesting. The party has around 70,000 members now. I had 50 actually for a minute and then did I you? You scored, so scored out and put 45 because I thought that's too generous. I, I had 50 as well and I scored out and put 47. There you go. One point. It's quite quite around, quite a nice round number oh, that. Yes. So um, moving on, question number two um, with Andy in the lead. At the time when he was first elected, Hamza Yousaf was Scotland's youngest ever MSP. True or false? So I'll go one by one. Morvin, what did you say? I put false. Andy, what did you say? I... Uh, I was getting my years a bit muddled, but it's false, and and and, and, and I want the bonus. I want the bonus and Adele false as well. What did I said you true. say? You said true. I said true. Andy seems very confident here. Who did you put as uh, the? Is as it misplaced answer? confidence? I thought it was false, and Ross Greer's the answer. So this is when the wording of the question comes in. It was true. Oh yeah. This is when he he was elected. But at the time when he was elected, what? When he was first elected, Hamza Yousaf was the youngest ever MSP Scotland had had. He has since been superseded. Um, Ross Greer yes. overtook him. And then somebody else who might oh, come up later what? on. What year was he elected in then? So he first came in in 2011. Um, so he was around 25. Don't quote me on that. But he was around 25, 26 at the time. So um, quite a young age to, to obviously he'd been working for the SNP beforehand. So at the time when he was elected. Jesus, don't he, quote me on that. I, oh, he was up, no, no, no. You on that. no I, I know that I know the fact that he was definitely <laughs> the youngest. He was nah, definitely the youngest. Um, at the t- I can't remember the this exact age, but that was a thing that he was the youngest. He's since been overtaken, right. so Adele gets the point for that. Question number three: Which SNP MSP acted as Hamza Yousaf's campaign manager and made the opening speech at his campaign launch? Morvin, who did you go for for this? I think this is going to be wrong, but I couldn't think of anyone else. So I put Shona Robinson just because he's appointed her. As a deputy, but I think it's that's not. But it's a good, good guess. Obviously, being his deputy first minister and a key ally, but she declared for him a couple of weeks, a week or so into the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy, who did you put? Uh, well, his his kind of his main man was Neil Gray. I can't remember actually who did. The, he was the campaign guy, but I, do, I couldn't remember who did the initial speech. But um, it must have been him. And Adele, who did you put? Neil Gray. You put Neil Gray as well. Yep, you're correct. So Neil nice. Gray introduced Hamza Yousaf. At his Clyde Bank campaign launch, and obviously has now been rewarded with a government role. He was already a government minister, but now a, a good cabinet role. So it's two all at the moment between Andy and Adele. Um, Morvin has a bit of catching up to do, so we'll see if you can make up that ground. All to play for. So question four, whereabouts in Courier Country did Ash Regan launch her leadership campaign to be first minister? Morvin, what did you go for for this one? Um, I just put Perth. Yeah, I think you're about as far away as you can be in terms oh, of um, right. Courier Country there. Not a bad guess though, not a bad guess. I just Andy? was trying to think of a place a bit bigger than just like a small. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was for the optics, really, wasn't it? And it was North Queen's Ferry. And Adele, did you guess North Queen's Ferry as well? North Queen's Ferry. You guessed that too. So, yeah, so um, Ash Regan 
launched a campaign in North Queensferry, just in Fife, not far from Edinburgh. That was, I believe, the Friday of the kind of when the campaign started, just days after she declared that she was going to run. So our next Ash Reagan question, question five. So Ash Reagan came a distant third in the leadership race, but due to the SNP membership being much larger now than it was in the past, she actually got more votes than winner Alex Salmon did in 2004. True or false? So I'll go through you one by one. So Morvin, true or false? So I watched when they said and it was 11% of the vote I think she got. I could be wrong, but it was quite low still. And if 45, well, 50,000 people voted, I still think that would be a tiny amount of votes for Alex Salmon. So I put false just because I thought, how could that be? Put false. Yeah. Andy, what did you go for? I went through the same process of logic as Morvin there because I can't remember what the um, membership figures were in in back then. Well, presumably the SNP don't either. What got them in this mess in the first place, isn't it? <laughs> so I, I reckon that uh, this is the same. It's it's false because it would only be false. A and, and Adele, what did you say? I did false too. Though I thought it might be close. So actually, you're all wrong. So it's actually <gasps> true. Oh my god. <laughs> The SNP membership was historically quite small. It's quite interesting when you look back. This is obviously the first big contest since 2004. Ash Regan had just over 5,000 votes. Your, your, your math said was solid. But um, Alex Salmond actually had just under 5,000 votes. And it's really interesting when you go back really? further. Obviously, John Swinney was leader before Salmond. I believe Swinney got in with less than 1,000 votes. You know, and Salmond was the first leader to be voted in you know, with, with several thousand votes. So the SNP membership was historically small. Got a bit bigger, I suppose, during devolution. Um, and there was a lot more interest, but it's it's interesting now that even with that decline in membership, there's still you know a kind of you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's it. Almost seems undemocratic, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Morgan has spoken. <laughs> it does, like under five thousand. Stop the steal. I mean, bearing in mind, obviously, the Scott, you know, the SNP were not in government at the time, so I suppose it was still seen, you know, just a vote for an opposition right. party, whereas now it was a vote for first yeah. minister. And question six, your final question. Who became the first ever Scottish or UK government minister to be born later than me this week? So I'll start with Morvin. Who is it? Um, well, it's probably wrong, but I'll just go off what we were talking about earlier is the Ross Greer thing. Probably not, <laughs> but I just, I don't, I can't think of a single person. No, a good, good guess, because obviously he is with the Greens, but he, it's uh, Patrick Harvey and Lorna Slater are the two Greens with ministerial roles. Um, I think Ross Greer is slightly older than me now. Or say like, as, as if he wasn't at some point, you know, but as if he's overtaken me. But I think he's a little bit older, although he's still quite young for an MSP. I'll go to I'll go to Adele this time. Uh, Adele, who do you think um, is younger than me in government? Emma Roddick. And Andy, what was your answer? Well, that's a that's a good that's a good guess. That one. Oh, well, not a guess. That's a good answer. Uh, I I, I just it? couldn't bring myself to to I I just I just spat on the answers and said and ripped them up through the bin in horror that there's someone as young as that could be in in government so yeah i, I just i just ripped it up so um adele's correct yep emma roddick uh, a highland msp is the new minister for equalities migration and refugees she was born in july 1997 six what? months after me so she is the first government minister who has been born later than me anywhere in the uk unless there's some junior Tory minister working that is actually younger than me, but I'm sure there's not. Well, yeah, very sure there's not. So yeah, that's an that's an interesting fact for you. I suppose I suppose as well, probably the first government minister who would have been under 18 at the time of the referendum, which is an 
interesting bit of information as well. So, Man. yeah, they stop. <laughs> the times they are changing and um, ministers are getting younger. So Yeah, well, I, I, I got the two age-related questions right, which means I'm clearly paranoid about my age. <laughs> <laughs> to finish our, our results, um, Morvan... Sorry, but you you got no, nothing. I'm gonna get out of the violin. I suppose you're not a political reporter, but you had a go. You you had some you had some good guesses, and your logic was pretty solid for your answers. So you know you, you made a good go of it. Um, Andy got three out of six. He got three answers Oof. correct. But our winner today with four out of six is Adele. So well done to Adele. Yeah. He takes the crown for the latest stushy politics quiz. I, I believe he takes the crown from Andy. Well oh, done. That's nice. <laughs> Idea. I had my first. My first um, vote was in 1997. So there you go. Uh, well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. That's the end of another fun-packed term in Hollywood. Thank you to Adele Merson, our quiz winner, Justin Bowie, producer Morvin McIntyre, and of course to you for listening. We'll be back after the Easter break. Until then, pick up a paper or log on to the Courier, the Press and Journal, and all of our news brands, so that you can be better briefed.